HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. This year, Wisconsin Cheese is hosting the very first Art of Cheese Festival to celebrate all things curds. Head to www.artofcheesefestival.com for your tickets to pastured paradise. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's our 14th year of Beer Sessions Radio, and we're doing another really great cider episode. Uh, some of the folks that have been involved in Cider Week for quite a while have joined me. Um, let's go around the room, and they'll introduce themselves. Start with Scott. Hey, everybody. It's Scott Ramsey from the New York Cider Association. And Paige. Hey, guys. It's Paige from Boutique Wine Spirits and Cider up in Fishkill, New York. So I know that Cider Week New York started back in 2011, and it's gone through a lot of changes. Um, the biggest change was probably COVID. And Scott, just tell us about your time when, when, when you started as the executive director of the New York Cider Association and, you know, the challenges you faced and, and what, what you've been doing to really grow Cider Week. I mean, it's, it's better than ever now, and, and it's really dynamic. So congratulations. Uh, thanks for that, Jimmy. Thank you. You're, you know, you, uh, you're a big part of that. So I really appreciate all your, your love and support of the cider, New York cider space. It's, it's really special. So yeah, to your point, um, you know, the story goes that I started in my role as executive director of the New York cider association on March 1st of 2020. So if you remember back to that date, uh, it was a crazy time. <laughs> it was a very <laughs> in- interesting time to start in a new role. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I walked in the door and the world fell apart. So we had to really start thinking very, uh, creatively and innovatively about how to continue the tradition of cider week in a space where we weren't allowed to come together, um, and be together. And, you know, one of my favorite things about New York cider is the fact that it is such a community, um, it's such a community space where people come together and enjoy the products that they're making and, the cider that they're producing. And so that's what Cider Week had always traditionally been about, was celebrating that community aspect of it and, and going to people's orchards and tasting rooms and restaurants and retail stores to enjoy New York cider and learn more about it. So we very quickly had to pivot. And at that time, Cider Week was still a regional event. So there were a few throughout the year. There was one in Hudson Valley. There was a Cider Week out in Western New York. And then there was also a Cider Week uh, in the Finger Lakes and in the city. So we had four different weeks we were trying to produce and figure out what to do with. And the first one came up in June, and that was the Hudson Valley Week. And so we went completely virtual. Um, which was a big giant lift. Um, Rachel Freyer, who you had on your show last week um, and interviewed, uh, she was telling you all about that. But um, she's our Cider Week producer, and she's a tremendous resource. She's also just launched her Cheese Club, which is a really exciting um, opportunity to collaborate with her on cheese pairings and cider. But at that time, we decided to completely go virtual and uh, came up with all these different formats of online cider tastings and chef and cider pairings, Um, orchard tours. We literally had people with their iPhones and their cameras out in their orchards touring us around. Some of it was live. A lot of it was pre-taped. 
Um, we had a whole, it was really kind of awesome. We had a whole week of programming. It was sort of like looking at a TV guide of all these different orchard and cider events that were happening. Um, so we put together a whole week of programming and that's how we launched cider week for, uh, during the pandemic. Um, and that was really, it was pretty awesome. And the, the silver lining was that I built a YouTube channel so we could have the New York Cider Association TV channel on YouTube. And instantly we came up with this really awesome catalog of content, which is still there. People still enjoy to this day. Um, we continue to add videos to it every once in a while, but the bulk of it really is from those virtual cider weeks back in 2020. Some really, really amazing um, orchard tours and discussions of how people are making their cider and tastings and pairings. Um, and there's just some great videos there. So, um, yeah, that, that was 2020. And, you know, part of my objective here in the association is to grow the organization to support the industry. Because when this, you know, when the New York Cider Association was founded back in 2015, there were only a handful of cideries in New York State. And now there's upwards of 125. I even heard a number today. I was talking with some folks. We think there might be upwards of 165 folks actually producing cider in New York State. So the Industry has grown tremendously, and I feel really honored to be at a place where I constantly am thinking about how to grow this organization to support this really amazing um, cider industry in New York State. And so one of the ways that I always think about doing that is how can I scale my efforts and scale the work that we're doing at the association level to support all of our members. And one of the choices that I made was to elevate Cider Week to be a statewide event. So in 2021, we went statewide. And so now we have two weeks a year. So it's the first week of May. I always say it's the first two Saturdays of May and the first two Saturdays in October. Those are your cider weeks in New York State. You can plan your calendars by them um, and they happen across the state. So on any given day during cider week, there are events happening all the way from Long Island, all the way up through the city, all the way up through the Hudson Valley, the Finger Lakes, the Catskills, all the way out to Rochester and Buffalo and Western New York, which is a really, really exciting thing to see. Um, and also, you know, I always wish there were more of me because I'd love to get to every, <laughs> every space that's having some sort of cider event, but I try to get around to as much as possible. And it's really thrilling to see the breadth of this industry and the impact that it's really having on the state as a whole. And so elevating Cider Week to a statewide celebration was pretty fantastic. It seems to be working really well. Scott, you, you've really made a big impact in a short time. Um, it, have you learned uh, or collaborated at all with Paul Leone from the New York State uh, Brewers Association? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Paul Leone from New York State Brewers Association, Sam Filler from New York, New York Wine and Grape, um, Teresa Casey, who's at the Distillers Guild. I mean, these are folks that I could not be as um, thriving in my role as I am. Um, just incredible partnerships, incredibly welcoming to me coming in the door at such a crazy time. And even to this day, you know, we talk and we'll collaborate and talk about what's going on in your space, what's happening in our space. We frequently are engaged in when there's sort of legislative issues around the craft beverage space in general. Um, here at the state, we communicate and align on those things as much as possible. Um, yeah, they're they're just incredible support. Paul is a gem. He's awesome. Wow. <laughs> and Sam as well. Yeah, before we ask you about your background, because you're, you're, you're quite a star for this industry, we're <laughs> going to go to Paige because Paige is also a star for the industry. Also a star. Yeah. <laughs> just for you, the last few years of, of Cider Week and how it's evolved for you. And, and I know you've got a, you're working on a big festival um, also for Cider Week. Yeah, so uh, Cider Week is definitely progressed for us as we've grown as a store. We're in our sixth year as a store, and we started off as a cider-centric store, and we've just expanded that. So there's been Cider Week has been a great tool for us to bring new cider lovers into the store and introduce them to new products from around the state and around the world. And it's definitely grown a bit. Uh, we started off with just tastings, and we've progressed to things like workshops uh, where you're basically mixing with cider or cooking with cider or pairing food with cider and people get to interact and actually try those things. So we've done a bunch of that this year at the spring uh, New York Cider Week. And we're looking to do some pretty cool events coming up for the Cider Week for the fall, including this big festival that we're working on called the Big Sip out at Bethel Woods, where we'll have um, a nice little cider pavilion in the general admission area with a bunch of different cideries from New York and beyond. So what, what else is at the Big Sip? You know, and, and who's behind it? Is it a New York State produced event? 
So the big sip is uh, over at Bethel Woods, which is where Woodstock happened. The Woodstock happened back in the 60s. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful campus with a very, very stoic history about it. And they've been running the festival for a few years. This year, they asked to take it to an international level. So they involved Boutique Wine Spirits and Ciders, which is us, to add on... um, just outside of New York products. But for cider, we are sticking with a lot of the New York producers with some of the regional producers as well. So we're going to include like Eden and Citizen in addition to places like Rockland Cider Works and uh, Blake Cider House. Forthright is part of it. It looks like Seminary is signing on and I think Graft might be signing on. So we've got a really nice array of different types of cideries um, coming into this uh, to this event. That's really great. I mean, I, I remember a couple years ago you asked me about doing an event at, at Boutique Wine and Spirits. And just to, to note, if you don't know, Boutique is in Fishkill, New York, and we've had you on several times. But you you really, early on, you, you really became like the premier retailer of, of New York State wines in the whole region, didn't you? Yeah. So, I mean, I was born and, and raised in New York, in New York City. And um, I'm just a New York girl. I went to school here. I was raised here. I've lived here my whole life. And I'm just very proud of where I live and how versatile this state actually is. And that extends out into the agro-tourism area and in terms of cider and, um, and wine and distilled products. Um, New York State is a great place to sort of find a ton of different, a wide breadth of different products, alcohol-based products, and food products. Um, It's just got a lot of talent right here, uh, including one of the best cooking schools in the country, which is producing a ton of people that are super interested in producing distilled and fermented products. Wow. So what's your take on Scott? I mean, Cider Week and Cider Station has come a long way, and it feels like all organizations have to go through that growth period where it went from being founded, and then, then it was like, expanded um but you you can tell me scott's not listening just tell me what you think about him and what he's brought to the table so i would say that scott's definitely expanded the cider breath it uh, just expanded it out and sort of worked with us to help kind of grab customers he came with a very different point of view from a very different angle than um the people we worked with previously. So it, it really helped out a lot to have somebody with more of um, a public relations marketing background that really kind of focused on getting the word out and explaining to people what this category is overall from the cideries to a retail store like we are. Great. And then just to get us, you know, primed up for Cider Week, what are, what are some of the, you, I don't want to say top producers because there's so many good ones, what are some that are pouring right now in, in your your store, or some favorites that you have? Let's 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 crack one open and, and tell me what you're drinking. Well, it's unfair to ask me for a favorite because they're all my <laughs> favorites. They're like my children. They're all my favorites. Um, but some newer ones that we have in the store, uh, Seminary Cider is a newer cidery that we've uh, just brought into the store uh, a couple of months ago, and I'm really enjoying their products. I think they're really nicely done. The quality is great from their regular ciders up to the Pomos, which are phenomenal. And then some old classics, you know, like Orchard Hill and Aaron Burr and um, some of the stuff out of the Finger Lakes, um, like Scrumpy You and Redbird are always phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, there's... What I love about New York Cider, what makes New York Cider tick for me is the fact that it's not a specific flavor. It has so many nuances and you can get so such a wide variety of flavor profiles just inside New York State from the Finger Lakes to Western New York to the Hudson Valley and even out on Long Island. Um, and there's just a, just a wide range of flavors from introductory sort of ciders to the heritage. And if you're into more of a wine sort of profile, you can get that from certain cider makers as well. And that's all here within one state, which is phenomenal. And it just shows the talent that we have and the breadth of apples and uh, terroir and talent that is all coming together. Scott, I, I heard that you, uh, I read an interview that you, you gave 
and you were saying that New York State X Y Z uh, versus Napa Valley. There was something about something mm-hmm. that you y- you wanted to tell people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it just sort of echoing Paige's points about how the variety and the experience of cider as it's emerging across this country. I mean, there's so many amazing things going on, and New York is definitely leading the way with the number of producers, the concentration of tasting rooms. Like, I don't think you're going to find a higher concentration of tasting rooms or orchards or cider producing facilities than you'll find in New York State with both the Hudson Valley and the Finger Lakes up in the Ithaca area. Um, And so, you know, I really believe, I mean, look, there's some incredible things happening across the country. I work very closely with the folks at the Northwest Cider Association and with the American Cider Association. But I get excited about telling the New York story because I really think that if we play this right, we could be sort of what, you know, what wine is to Napa and Sonoma, to those regions and the agritourism space. I think New York has a huge opportunity to be that for cider. And I want people to think about, you know, when they're coming into the city, that it's an easy day trip to get up to the Hudson Valley, easy day trip to get up to the Finger Lakes, um, you know, an overnight maybe for Finger Lakes. But these are awesome trips, much like you would make if you were in San Francisco or in Portland and going out to some cideries there or some wineries there. Um, You can do the same thing here in New York State. And I just think there's a huge opportunity because, you know, not for nothing, but I mean, it's some incredible ciders that are being produced in these regions all across the state. Catskills is starting to have more and more cideries. Um, Certainly Western New York around the Rochester Buffalo region, there's some incredible cider production happening out there. We're the second largest apple growing state in the country. So there's no reason why we can't really start to, you know, bolster up what we're doing in the cider space, especially from an agritourism space, which I just think is really exciting. Scott, was it was it just COVID, or did it seem that the the focus of of cider producers and, and cider week uh, during and after COVID went towards getting people to go up to cider country? Oh, I mean, there's no doubt. You know, you certainly understand this. There's no doubt that that it opened up a whole new sort of channel for a lot of our producers and. You know, it was an awful experience going through the pandemic, but the silver linings were that a lot of people start to understand really what was in their backyards, that they were not more than a few miles away from a cider producer that they could talk to, that they could interact with, that they could enjoy being in their spaces. Um, and and the timing of, of it all, if you remember, it was, so everything sort of fell apart in March, April, and May, but it was that October and November time period of that year where we were starting to kind of be comfortable being, you know, outside, socially distanced, of course, but we were starting to kind of have some sort of sense of maybe being in the same vicinity of each other. And what better place than an orchard or a tasting room or, you know, some sort of very large scale producing facility where you could enjoy cider, Um, you know, and it just, it was a, it was kind of a nice uh, opportunity to really help people understand that, that it was available to them where they may not have even realized that before. Last year, for the first time, I went to the Cider Days, which is the Franklin County Cider Days uh, in Massachusetts. Yes. And, you know, like many, many events, there's there's a lot of moving parts. But I got to, I got to spend the afternoon at West County, which is one of the you know pioneers in New England cider. Mm-hmm. And it was just perfect. They, they, they had it was very simple. It was like you could buy bottles. Um, you, you could drink them there. They and they had an oyster, yeah. oyster shucker. But I have to say it was one of the most delightful times I've ever had in my life. <laughs> oh, nice. So I, I love hearing I, that. I feel like that cider, it, 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 it's kind of like a, on a nice day. I'd, I'd be very happy to go sit outside at, at a cidery. Um, what, what are a few places that you find are really – like I know Brooklyn Brooklyn Cider House um, is really really doing some great things up there in the Hudson Valley. They've got uh, yeah. some kind of wood-fired oven, and they do a lot of events. Um what, yeah. what is it about them that 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 that's really jiving? Because um, there, I see them all the time doing great events. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an equation of things, and it's sort of what you're talking about. It's that you know, and there's so many of these spaces in New York. This is the thing that just blows my mind. So many beautiful, beautiful landscapes, and um, you know, tasting rooms and just orchards, um, all sort of building this really incredible industry of New York cider. Um, Peter and Susan and their family there at uh, Brooklyn Cider House in New Pulse are just awesome people and always interested in bringing people together, which is another thing that I really was attracted to this community um, when I was interviewing for the role. 
the one thing that really stood out to me was just the collaborative nature of it all and how, you know, Peter and Susan are a perfect example. They seek out opportunities to bring as many cider makers together or as many craft beverage folks or people who are in adjacent industries around fermenting. They do a really awesome fermenting festival. Um, you know, it's really about uh, coming together, sharing best practices, celebrating what you're doing, celebrating each other. Um, and that that's unique, I think, to this industry. And you don't find that in a lot of spaces. And certainly in the corporate spaces I was in before this, that, was, that did not exist. So it's very refreshing to me to be in a space where, you know, I spend a lot of time creating connections between folks because they want to talk to each other and they want to be throwing events and doing things that are supportive of, you know, their their colleagues and the industry as a whole, which is really great. Scott, how much are you traveling? And, and you know, can you be in... Buffalo one day and Hudson Valley the next. Well, I'm about to find out, Jimmy. So I, it's going to be very interesting if Cider Week plays out the way we think it's going to be. Um, there's a good chance I'll be in Ithaca on Friday night on October the 6th, then down to Brooklyn for your event on the 7th, then back up to Bethel Woods on the 8th. And then, you know, all around. And I, you know, I love being out uh, across the state. I love being engaged with people in person. I'm a very collaborative, you know, I'm a, per, I'm a people person. So um, the more I can get out and be around people and talk to people and see how they're doing and be in their spaces and understand what they need from us as an association to support them, the better. So, uh, you know, I, I would certainly travel a lot more if I could, but the amount of travel I get to do is pretty fantastic already. Let, let me quiz you on the West, the West of New York. And, and Paige can <laughs> okay. join it too. So way out West, yeah. I don't know if it's by Buffalo, I'm thinking of uh, Jonathan Oaks. What what yes, cider? Steampunk what cider cider is steampunk. All right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, steampunk. He, yeah, he's in. Uh, they're in Medina, which is almost exactly between Rochester and Buffalo, um, pretty close to the lake there. Um, and he's part of Leonard Oaks Winery, so he started his uh, his cidery a few years ago, and they just had their big steampunk festival this past weekend, which they used to do on an annual basis before the pandemic, but now um, I think this was the first really full on festival that they've done since then so it's good to have them back doing that so what what is it about Ro the rochester area I, i've i've met quite a few people that grew up in apple families mm -hmm. um yeah do you guys know the history of, of why apples we never really did a show about rochester and i'm just yeah. I'm curious it seems like it's one of the great apple growing areas in the country well, it is. I mean, Paige, you probably know quite a bit about this too, but Williamson County, which is there just to the east of Rochester. So if you think of New York State as the second largest apple growing state in the country, and we we come behind Washington State, which if you're looking at the industry as a whole, Washington State is pretty much the largest slice of that pie. But we have a, we have a very formidable slice and we're the second largest apple growing state of New York State, Williamson County up there just right around Rochester, I think is like 80% of that uh, that industry. So there's just a huge amount of apple production, apple growing up in that part of the world. And, um, you know, it makes, it makes a lot of sense that cider has a really big impact up there. And Rochester is a cool place. I mean, there is a lot of really interesting things happening up there. Big music scene, lots of uh, media production happening in that region. Um, really cool food and beverage scene as well. And I think they're giving, you know, there's a lot of, brewing happening up there, a lot of really delicious beers that are being made. Um, so, you know, it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll sound like a New York City snob, but really until I was in this role, I just didn't know that much about the region. I just was not up there that often. And so I really enjoyed traveling up there and learning more about Buffalo as well. Same thing. A lot of really cool things happening in Buffalo. Um, and it's been fantastic to have my world sort of opened up to that space. Paige, um, are you, are there any other uh Cideries from that area that that we should know about. Yeah, I mean, steam. Uh, he mentioned um, Scott mentioned steampunk, which is really, really amazing, and uh, and I really like their stuff. I yeah, I mean, it's, that's a neat growing area. Um, we don't see a ton of that down here uh, in the Hudson Valley from a retail point of view as much as I'd like to, but it's you know we're starting to see a little more of that. I think for me, the, the in addition to steampunk, the the other. Uh, the other cidery that I met from there were Embark. Um, yes, which Embark fit, is up in that region. Fit that model of the long-time long family apple growers who, who adopted uh, the hard cider. Um, is it is you want you want to 
that's kind of a cool thing to think about. There's the traditional farms, like I know Indian ladder farm up by Albany, mm-hmm. you know, traditional yeah. farms that mo- many generations have been growing apples. Um, yep. And then now Absolutely. this generation's doing hard cider. Do, do, do you want to, yes. I'm going to quiz you guys. Tell me, tell me a few of the other cider brands in New York that, that are based on uh longtime family orchards. Cause I'm actually, I'd actually like to have a list of them because I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how they evolve as, as cider makers. Yeah. Paige, do you want to go first? Well, I was going to say like, there are family orchards that make, a, like make cider currently. I don't know how long standing it is, but like Orchard Hill, that's been, I mean, that's been around for over a hundred years. That's, that's the centennial mm-hmm. farm that produces cider um, off of Soon's Farms out in um, Orange County, New York. And then there's Treasury Cider, and that's been around well over 100 years. And that's off of Fishkill Farms right here in the Hudson Valley. But then there's other um, family farms like Pennings Farm, which is also a farm that swirly makes cider. And then you mentioned earlier um, Brooklyn Cider House. And that that is also a family, but not longstanding, but squarely a family-owned farm, and they produce some incredible ciders on a beautiful property. So there's a ton of them mm-hmm. around around the Hudson Valley. Yeah, and even yeah. you know, even Angry Orchard, they partner very closely with Christ Family Orchards. I mean, that's who helps you know helps grow their apples there locally in Walden, and that's a that's a multi generational family farm as well. Wow. What about 1911? Oh yeah, um, Beekman Skiff. Yes. Yeah. Beekman Skiff. Yeah. Absolutely. Up near Syracuse. That's a multi-generational family farm. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating to, to learn about all these places. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty neat to, re- to really think about just that to see like different generations evolve their, their farm business. Cause I, when I think about cider and cider country, I think about agriculture, you know, I think about the mm-hmm. farms and what they're growing and, and I, and my friends up at Indian ladder farm, have a cidery and a brewery, but I, I, apparently that goes back uh, five five generations, and they may have been a dairy farm at one point. It's kind of amazing just to see the history of of you know agriculture in New York evolve. Um, yes. Yeah, and it yeah. started with a lot of dairy farms. I mean, this was a very very prominent dairy farm area up into the Catskills. Yeah. Do you have when I, the, I think I'm going with this is right now we've got a lot of different ciders and and people have talked about can you call something a fine cider i mean this has been the conversation for 15 years you know or how do you you know dry ciders but do you think that you know rather than like you know aoc denominations what do you think the future is to really define and help consumers and, and retailers sell more of ciders should we what should we be doing should we identify Longtime family farms that are that are making cider. Should we identify organic ciders? You know, are there are there certain certain marketing strategies that that are being discussed? Sure. I mean, you know, I'm going to go first, but then Paige is really going to be the expert in answering this because that's exactly the spot she's in and thinking about this. Um, but you know, the thing that I like to really focus on is the fact she and Paige has said this even tonight. It's a category. Like cider is a category. It's not just a flavor. So starting to get consumers and people to understand, bartenders, chefs, you know, people to understand that it's a full, broad, beautiful category of opportunity and pairing, you know, possibilities and ways to bring it into your life and in your menu that are really unique and different. Um, that when you think about it as just a flavor, those are, you know, those thoughts don't necessarily cross your mind. So that piece, and then I also like to really think about and talk about the local piece of it. Like I said, like in New York state, you're never more than like 30 miles from a cider producer who's making this amazing local, you know, cider produced with the apples on their orchard. I mean, you're, it's, it's, there's so much going on in the state. Um, So it's the local piece and getting people to understand it's a category, but Paige, you're definitely going to be the the expert in this question. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think in terms of what consumers are asking for when they come in, I think consumers really respond very well to transparency in cider think they want to understand what they're getting and how to to consume that and what's what's good ways to consume that and that really works if if the cidery itself is giving that information on the label or through their marketing i think that's kind of key and important 
um, if you don't have a retailer that's speaking about it. I mean, for us, because we have over 350 ciders in here, because we have 13 on tap and we're constantly tasting people every day when they come in on ciders, we are always talking about it. So we tell the stories of the cideries and we tell the stories of where the apples come from or how it's produced or how to pair it or how to use it um, in terms of cooking and um, incorporating it into a meal. And consumers really respond to that when we actually take the time and we are careful and explain things. Because I don't think that a lot of categories are really doing that. They're just pushing it for the dollar. And when you basically connect to a consumer on a level that they can understand, and food and wine is something that humans across the world understand. It's in our nature. It's in our culture. No matter where you come from in the world, we all sit down with family. We all celebrate. We all mourn over a meal. Um, and using uh, food and wine and pairing that is a very natural thing for human beings overall, culturally. So when you think about it that way and you explain it to people on a level where this type of cider works well with this type of meal in this type of situation, and here's how you can incorporate it, then people can relate to that because they have seen that in their life and then they pull it into their everyday. And that's that's how this starts to move forward for us as a retailer, is we get people excited about the space and then they wanna explore other avenues within the category and other styles within the category. And it just starts to grow. Then we have people coming in for cases of cider instead of a cider for tonight. They come in for an entire case because they have family coming in and they wanna show them these ciders from New York State because they're delicious and they need to share that. And that's how this space grows, at least for us as a retailer. Yeah, it's very well said. And, the other, you know, one thing I'll point out with Paige's perspective as well is it's, it's a place that I think New York Cider especially really is charmed in the sense that, you know, our producers are very good at telling their story on their labels. You know, I've been a part of many marketing conversations for small businesses and, and the reverberating factor is telling your story, your personal story about what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it. And those stories here in New York are very quickly and deeply tied to the agriculture of the state and the history of the state and the history of the apple industry in the state. So it's just a really awesome equation um, as consumers start to learn. I mean, I've seen, you know, you can see people's eyes light up when they start to make all the connections between what's happening here in New York and the this beverage that they're drinking that they kind of understood, but now are really starting to understand all the complexities of it. And um, those local stories are really powerful and we're very rich with that here in New York State. Scott, do you have a, a cider dinner story for us? Have you have you been to a recent cider dinner or a pairing, or was was there so, something uh, about that? Because I always feel like that's one area where cider can grow is at the table, the same way people drink wine. Go to a, yes, someone's house 100%. with a nice bottle of cider. Absolutely, which Absolutely. I which I do. Well, <laughs> I do, and I yeah. usually usually convert people nice what do you what's your go-to i'm curious to know what's your go-to cider well, if it was new york right now I'd, i would probably go with like a eve cider or a um you know a south hill just because i'm nice. familiar with them and i can usually have some um and then yeah when i'm broader I, I, farnham hill and eden dry sparkling eating ciders are just like nice oh, those four right there you know you you, you can't beat it um yeah but as long as as long as they're dry and, and sparkling and, you know, well-made, um, you know, it, it's the, the role of the winemaker or cider maker, you know, is how important that is. But it, it, it's yes. the thing about it at the table, because I, I, it's the same way when I started the restaurant business 30 years ago, I, I was I was splashing in my the wine I was drinking in to finish plates of food. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind mm -hmm. of how I, I see cooking and and. and you know, cider going together, but I'm rambling, but you are I want you to, no. I don't know. I'm also curious, like what, if there's any initiatives going on in New York state about uh, pairings or getting yes. cider at your table. Yes. A hundred percent. It's, it's really, really great question. And that's, you know, that sort of goes back to cider being a category. It's really exciting to me as I've started to learn more about the category in the space, like understanding the pairing of it. It's so, um, 
it's just very, very inspiring. And there's just so many different ways to do it. I get harassed a lot by my friends at uh, the American Center Association because I like to do sort of like what we call like highbrow, lowbrow pairings where you have like a really amazing, like delicious premium cider paired with like popcorn or a <laughs> hot dog or, you know, because I just think that the it's so much fun to sort of, uh, you know, either choose something that's going to complement what you're what you're enjoying for your meal and kind of go along with it as far as acidity and sweetness or dryness. Or I'm a big fan of contrasting, right? So I like to play around with stuff and have something that maybe if my cider is a little bit more on the sweet side, have something that's super spicy and maybe really uh, fatty. Or if it's very acidic or dry, then I would do something that may be a little bit more, you know, on the juicy side. Um, so I just like to contrast. But to your point, um, it's very much on my radar for 2024 to produce exactly what you're talking about. More sit-down pairing experiences where um, we can bring people in and really help them understand the excitement around how to think about cider and how it pairs with each course of your meal um, and what to be thinking about in those spaces and to try different ciders paired with different types of food. Um, I think, you know, um, what's the saying? Like many, you know, the path to a heart is a, is a full stomach or something like that. So <laughs> I think there's a, there's a way to really uh, get people lit up about what, what's possible with New York cider. And I think doing it at the table, pairing it with food, educating people on how that works is the perfect way. To you know, it. that what you said reminds me of like craft beer in like the aughts, like 2005 to nine, when people were doing the same thing, trying to figure out what what you, what you could pair with an IPA, you know, and and mm -hmm. doing these simple tastings where they'd be like a bacon and and a chocolate and an ice cream and something else. Yes, and um, yeah, I, I I I think that's exciting, but I also feel like you can flip the switch. Uh, I mean, I'm a snob about it. Like a fine dry cider <laughs> is already on my table, yeah. and um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I think it's ready to. I remember also I, I can call out Sam Filler because I love him. Uh, right before the pandemic, uh, they were going to start initiative and, and have try to get the New York State wines at, at barbecue events, and and I, I yeah. produced some of those, and we had had conversations, and um, I, I I feel like I'm looking forward to seeing the, what what you guys do. Um, yes, but usually for me, I just want to jump right in and say give. Give me the best and tell me what the best is and, and, and <laughs> right. define it. And I'm curious if you guys are actually, it seems like when there's an association like, like Paige can't name her favorite, but you, you, <laughs> but when she's in the store, she probably does tell you her favorite. No, so you don't no. ever. <laughs> when, when are we going to start picking favorites and saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to speak for Paige here because she is amazing. And her brother, Gennaro, they are truly, they are really the stars of the industry, quite frankly. And they're amazing at what they're doing and their collection is incredible. I mean, constant, you know, the award shelf there is very full and robust for every, every reason possible. And I've seen them in action where, when you ask them what's your favorite cider, which you know, they will they will launch into a full conversation with you about where can we start you on the spectrum. They have this beautiful wall for tastings with the whole line of taps that they rotate out and have you know their favorites that they go to. But they will they'll I've seen them literally like expand people's palates like on the spot. <laughs> it's a really amazing uh, skill, and they bring a tremendous amount of passion and inspiration to it. So. Anybody listening, if you have not visited Boutique Wine and Spirits up in Fishkill, like, please run, don't walk there. It's an awesome experience. And uh, yeah, they're really great. I can't speak highly enough about them. Well, thank you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to leave today because my head's going to be so big. I don't know. <laughs> thank you, Scott. That was amazing. Um, no, I mean, um, my brother and I um, and the staff here, we're all pretty passionate about cider. And um, it's one of the reasons why we opened the store. It was a passion for opening the store. It, we made it a central piece. We had a sculptor come in and make a floor to ceiling tree, um, which we decorate for each season. So it has apples and green leaves right now. And it's about to change out to some big apples and some uh, colored leaves. And there's a tap in the middle of that tree. So you can literally tap the tree and check out what we have on tree tap, which right now we are running Orchard Hill, um, their uh, bone dry on our tree tap. So um, you can get that straight out of the trunk of the tree, um, which is fun. You know, we, we, cider is a fun 
space. It doesn't have to be hoity-toity. Um, it can be very serious, but it doesn't have to be. Um, it's lower in alcohol. It's it's sessionable. It goes super well with food. It is incredible to cook with. I mean, my husband's a culinary grad. I have two culinary grads on staff here, and I'm Italian and I like to cook. So <laughs> I'm constantly opening up a can of cider when I'm making, let's say, um, risotto, for example. Yeah. Putting cider in risotto, particularly in the fall, and swapping out some of the water for some hard cider and giving it that little bit of apple taste and some depth into that risotto, and then adding in something like um, some cubed up uh, butternut squash in there, and then you know putting duck over it if you're uh, if you're into that sort of thing, and bang, you've got this incredible fall meal, maybe with a little wilted spinach for some color, and bang, and it's phenomenal and it's fall and it's delicious. And the cider just adds a dimension that chicken stock doesn't and Pinot Grigio doesn't to that um, risotto. And it's phenomenal. And there's so many different things you can do with cider and so many ways you can incorporate that into the meal to give depth of flavor. Um, And then when you're done with that, what you want to do is take that risotto with duck and pair it with cider. (laughs) Because it's delicious that way. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, it's uh, it's so versatile and showing people that is so important uh, from the restaurant point of view, from the fact that we have uh, the Culinary Institute of America just 20 minutes north of my shop and those chefs are coming out and going all across the world from right here and kind of teaching them how to use cider in cooking and how to pair cider with what they have cooked in the restaurants they're going to be opening or the restaurants they're going to be working at. It's paramount. And, um, and it's fun. These are young people and they're super interested in this. Wow. I'm hungry. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I, actually, Paige, <laughs> do you ever put cider in when you're making tomato sauce? Cause I do. I, I always use cider when I'm cooking tomato sauce. Sometimes some of it even gets in the sauce. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And also, Paige, just like since this is this is great insight for us. You know, I I I know how challenging all retail is because there's so many trends. You know, and you guys are still carrying full line of spirits. You have wine and ciders. Um, You know, going back to your tree and and how you how you taste people. I don't want to use the word educate because it's not as fun, but taste people. What, what, what makes a customer challenging? You know, is, is, is any customer challenging to you or are they all interesting once they want to taste something? Well, I'll tell you the most fun customer is the one who tells me they don't like cider because (laughs) I can not every time, but Nine times out of 10, I'm like, you do. You just haven't had one. You haven't experienced a category yet. So yeah, I mean, um, it's it's more than an education. It really is an experience. Going through the taps of cider is an experience for people. Yes, you learn some stuff, but you get, to, it's not just root learning. It's actually tasting and listening to the stories and understanding the history and understanding, hey, imagine this cider with this type of uh, cheese or this meal or how this would pair and how those bubbles would feel with popcorn, with fried chicken, how that would cut through these particular um, savory meals. That part of it is what makes it fun. And when it clicks with people and food is something, again, everybody eats Everybody enjoys food. So when you start to talk about that and it starts to click and you see somebody's eyes light up like, oh, yeah, I get it. That's what makes this so rewarding for us. Wow. Well, this has been a great start. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin certainly knows their cheese. The only state that requires a license to cheese, they take the craft very seriously. That's why this year, Wisconsin Cheese is hosting the very first Art of Cheese Festival to celebrate all things curds. From September 29th to October 1st, you too can join the Jubilee. Over the course of the festival, you can learn how to pair cheese like a pro. Art of Cheese is thrilled to offer classes on pairing cheese with wine from the industry's leading sommeliers, cocktails from spirits experts, 
chocolate, and coffee. Yes, coffee with cheese from a former cheesemonger. At Art of Cheese, you can level up your artisanal cheesemaking knowledge with a curds-on deep dive amongst the cream of the crop and celebrate all things cheese by dancing the night away as the bell of the Wisconsin cheese ball. You won't want to miss out on finding your next favorite cheese at the party of the year. Head over to www.artofcheesefestival.com for your tickets to Pastured Paradise. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here. It's our 14th year on Beer Sessions Radio. Support us. Become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking with Scott Ramsey of the New York Cider Association and Paige Fury uh, of Boutique Wine and Spirits. So guys, thanks so much for joining me. We're getting ready for the Fall Cider Week. It's really exciting. Um, This is our second episode. Two weeks ago, Scott, you were on. We've really focused on uh, Rachel Fryer, who is a producer of, of Cider Week with you. Um, you know, let, let, let's just recap what we've been talking about. And I bet you guys have a, a, a couple questions for each other because, you know, you're, you're, you're both working together, but, but you also push each other, I'm sure. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. <laughs> so I got one for you, Scott. Yeah. So, so you've expanded Cider Week tremendously and you've basically elevated it so that it is um, all the entire state all at one time, twice a year, instead of the smaller um, pieces that we had before. So where do you see it going in five years? Wow, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, one of the things we talk about, and I hope I'm not going to let the the train out of the station or whatever you call it. Um, you know, we, we think there's a real opportunity to really get seasonal with it, to really talk about the, the spring week being very focused on uh, blossoms. Um, you know, as we all know, like there's nothing more beautiful than a, than a big giant orchard just full of blossoms ready to bust for their, you know, their season. Um, so that could be a real opportunity to have almost like a blossom festival type of space. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then the, for the fall festival, leaning more into the harvest aspect of it as well. So if we were able to get the messaging right for the blossom piece, then the harvest piece just sort of naturally falls in line with that. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, there, there's a huge space for me to be doing much larger tasting events, you know, previous to my time. Um, here at the association, they were producing, you know, several hundred person size tasting events. Jimmy, much like yours, like the Cider Feast, I think there's things we could be doing in that space across the state. That's just not been something that, had the pandemic not occurred, we'd probably be doing more of that still. But it just sort of put a big giant twist in that process of it from our perspective as far as what an association can pull off for its members. Um, but I think that's something I'm going to try to do more of in 2024. And, you um, I have this whole concept of kind of almost like a New York Cider Roadshow that I want to build out. I'm still sort of, you know, fabricating what that idea and that concept looks like. But it's really it's really just continuing to elevate and amplify what's happening in the space and creating more connectivity um, around people like chefs and retailers and bartenders and servers and folks like yourself, Paige, who, you know, just need to be more exposed to it and taste through what's possible um, to understand how to sell and talk about it and grow it. So I can, I think it's kind of just a lot more of the same, but doing it in a bigger, better way, continually just growing it. All right. This is, you guys, this is a very refreshing conversation. Um, I, I don't <laughs> always talk about the industry, but you, you guys are, are talking about the industry in ways that we haven't in, in a while. So thanks for bringing your fresh perspective, uh, Scott. Scott, do you have a question for, for Paige? I mean, you know, she's a top retailer. You're trying to move yeah. New York ciders. Absolutely. I mean, actually, you know, I would have this question for the both of you. I mean, I'm always curious to know what was your entry point into cider? Like where and and why the curiosity and how did you get into it? And, uh, you know, how has that grown? And, and I'm asking because I'm always thinking about this, right? Like a lot of what I focus on is market development and how do we expand the market? And so trying to think about the consumer or what we're starting to like to call cider curious. So it's the individual that understands maybe a little bit about what it is, but hasn't completely fully gotten into the cider space yet. So I would ask you both, like what was your entry point and, and how did that expand over time? Hey, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So um, basically uh, when I was in college, let's say college, um, I didn't like beer. So all my friends drank beer and I just didn't enjoy it. So I 
was brought up on wine being coming from an Italian household. I was brought up on wine, but nobody had wine at parties. So it was a little bit, (laughs) I was a little bit before my time. So I was looking for something sessionable that was um, going to be kind of socially accepted and come in small packages. And so yeah, cider was what I reached for and back in the day when I was in college, there were not a lot of options out there. And so it was a little harder to find. But um, as I, you know, progressed and moved up to the Hudson Valley, I found there were a ton here. And then I just started to try more ciders and understand more about the category and got really curious and then really started to just go down the rabbit hole, basically, and learn everything I could. And then I decided to open up a cider store. That's great. That's great. And Jimmy, how about you? Uh, pretty much my my interest and in, in knowledge of cider started with the first Cider Week in 2011. And uh, I think I, I, I owe it to the fact that when Cider Week first started, a lot of the, the top indie producers who had been doing it for a while, like Steve Wood at Farnham Hill, actually mm-hmm. came to New York City and, and would come to places like my my old pub jimmy's number 43 and i got to taste with him and so very yes. quickly because my background had been in wine but i i i also trained as a sommelier and in craft beer but i always cared about the the top stuff and, and fine fine drinks um mm-hmm. but for for me drinking the farnham hill and, and other fine ciders is what put me over i, I didn't necessarily want just apple or, or in fact I, I probably would not have drinking cider if it was if it was just like a, a sweeter kind of poppy cider, which which had been around right. for a while, so definitely it was it right. was the impact of the finer ciders, and that's kind of what hooked me. And then honestly, we've talked about it on the show, but in 2015, that that initial like cider week energy really came through New York City. There was a lot seemed like there was more yes. going on in New York City, and um, a couple of the folks who opened up Wasail, which was a great. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the cider, the first kind of cider dedicated establishment in Manhattan. Um, next yeah. thing you know, every week they had top cider makers from the country and the world coming through New York. And we, we started doing yeah. a number of cider episodes on the radio show um, with them. So I, I my education, I think I was privileged, <laughs> um, it, but but it, it, it also just showed you the interest in the beginning I think were people interested in in, in fine beverages. Um, I think that's yes. that's what kept it going, and uh, and yeah, and now here we are. So um, I'm excited just to try a lot more New York ciders. In yeah, fact, I don't I don't know most, I don't know most of the the, the newer ones that, that have that you, that you guys are mentioning. So yeah, yeah, there's some great stuff happening, and I um, I have to say, Jimmy, that I I've heard nothing but amazing things about your space and with sale, and I'm envious of those days. <laughs> That was not my time. So, but it sounds like that was pretty fantastic. And I, you know, I'll candidly say too, that I think um, there's so much more we could be doing in this city. Um, But, you know, New York State's a really interesting place to be because we could have an association that is focused only on New York City. And we can have an association that's focused only on the rest of the state. You know, they really are two, um, they can be two very different things as far as reaching consumers and markets and understanding how to build those spaces. And we're so fortunate in New York State to have what is essentially like the largest commercial, um, you know, commercial atmosphere in the world right here as part of our as part of our culture and our, our DNA in the state. Um, so I'm really that's another piece, you know, uh, sort of thinking back on Paige's question about what we can be doing for Cider Week. I think there's certainly a huge opportunity to expand way more of what we're doing currently in the city. And that's just kind of been a result, I would say, probably the pandemic and, you know, coming out of that and trying to get our footing again and build something up and be able to have, uh, you know, things playing all across the state. So it's, it's a huge opportunity there. You know, one thing for, for me, especially in, in cities, when I do now, when I do uh, different cider feast events, um, I feel like there's definitely, even though it's a category and and it's a niche niche category, you know, hard cider mm-hmm. is is not the top three like spirits and beer and wine, but I I don't really think I don't think of the beer I drink as part of the beer category, um, right. you know. But with with cider, it's like you think about things like hard salsa, for example, and, and other lighter. Uh, you know, let's say milder flavored alcohol beverages. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it, it's a, that's kind of the, 
window into, you know, more cider drinkers. Because Mm, maybe when I'm 21, 22, I might feel comfortable drinking a hard seltzer. But as if I make, that's why I'm saying about being exposed to to, to better products. If I'm exposed to a light cider that's 6%, with which many of them are, and it's really well made and dry, I'm going to start drinking that instead of a hard seltzer. So I feel like that the, I don't know what, if you guys are talking about trends and, and how to target people. Because it, it, it does impact what you're going to serve in a bar and a restaurant. You know, we, yes. we have you have to follow trends. But if you know, what 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 what's in the works to 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 jumpstart this more? Yeah, Paige, I'd be curious to know what your perspective is on the trends topic and sort of thinking about um, you know how we find those those drinkers of the hard seltzers of the world where they might they would choose. You know, a lot of it, Jimmy's just having access to, right, in the distribution space, which is very tricky for our smaller producers who are producing, you know, the finer ciders. Um, so it becomes a very convoluted equation. But Paige, what's your perspective on all that? Yeah, I mean, so one of the interesting things about hard seltzers is a lot of the bigger brands on the market are just starting to talk about, oh, we switched it over and now it's made with actual juice instead of artificial colors and flavors. Here's the gig. Apple cider is made from, you know, apples. So for all, it's just like if you want something authentic and you want to know what's in it and what if you're looking at what seltzer is doing and you're seeing them start to switch over to that, they're starting to be like, oh, wait, people want more like things made that are authentic and not um, not artificial. So naturally cider is that way. So it positions cider, you've got the alcohol level that that consumer is looking for, and you already have the authenticity. And heck, you know, the old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor, right? It's supposed to be a healthy thing, you know, apples overall. So if you are looking to be more pure, if you are looking for a product that is still light, that is not... um that isn't heavy tasting and filling, then then cider is where you want to go. Um, so in our space, we do have people coming in for basically hard seltzers and sure I'll sell them to, to that customer if they want, but we always point out some of the ciders as well, the drier ciders that have flavors to them that we know are coming in at a hundred calories. Like some of the light um, ciders from nine pin, for example, are a good fit for that. Mm-hmm. So we can, you know, kind of uh, pull people over into that space and just introduce them and take one or two and see how you like it. And then you'll see they come back and they're more curious. And then that starts them in the cider space overall. So I think that um, that cider is well positioned if we watch closely what's going on in the heart seltzer category, we can sort of see where they're headed and kind of just... um, leapfrog that because we we started authentic we're not just getting authentic so Paige, it's kind of like people have a a, like a flavor profile of what they want to drink like i remember the the, again in the aughts of the early days of craft beer there was stella as a beer it was kind of clean it it wasn't a heavy beer and when i opened jimmy's number 43 i made a point of well if everyone's asking for stella i have to have a a different pilsner and i and i had a really well-made belgian pilsner and uh, it sounds like you're on track with, with if someone's because I feel like the heart the reason you're going to get a hard seltzer is that you want that flavor and calorie profile, but you you, you could also get something better, right? Yeah, and a a lot of um, if you just take I, I found if they just take the time and explain to somebody and find out exactly what they're looking for and exactly where they want to go, it's pretty easy to switch them over. Um, the only other question you have is, you know, price point wise. And that's that's where it, so things can get a little bit hectic or hairy because, you know, your seltzers are actually pretty inexpensive to produce. So they're pretty inexpensive, you know, eight packs, whereas ciders, especially ones that are made with 100% apples are a little bit pricier. But once they've tried it, they don't seem to mind the switchover. That's great. Well, Scott, I'm sure you get to ask a lot of questions in in your job. Um, what's your favorite part of of being the executive director of the New York Cider Association? And just leave us with that great great vibe that you 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 always bring with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it really is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's just the community and the collaborative aspect. Um, it was really refreshing to me when I walked in and it continues to be that way. I, I'm so thrilled to see, you know, the thing about this community is they love being together. They really enjoy being in the same space and I see it happen. And, you know, we'll have member meetups or we'll have meetings and everybody brings their ciders. And by the end of the meeting, we're all sitting around talking about what everybody's doing and what's working and what's not and what's coming up. And I just, I, I really, really am so honored and, and thrilled to be at a space where I get to kind of help facilitate that and to amplify all this amazing work that these folks are doing because it's an incredibly supportive and collaborative uh, community. And that is really thrilling to me. And then Scott, just, just one last thing. Um, would you just shout out a couple of the, the board members from the New York State Cider Association and, and the, the cideries that they're affili affiliated with so we, we can kind of absolutely. know who to support? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you're here in the Hudson Valley, there's Elizabeth Ryan and she's Hudson Valley uh, Farm Cider House. Um, there is Angry Orchards, a big part of our organization, hugely supportive, and um, that's Jamie Corral and Joe Gaynor is their head cider maker now out in Walden. Steve Pennings at Pennings Farm Cidery here in the Hudson Valley is great. Alejandro Del Peral at Nine Pin Cider. Um, and then over in Western New York, we have Michael Robb with Clarksburg Cider and Jonathan Oaks at Steampunk Cider is our current oh, board president. Great. Yeah, yeah fantastic leader for the industry, just really fantastic to collaborate with. Um, and Christine Sisler is from Merchant's Daughter Cider. She's down in Westchester. She's our treasurer. She's fantastic to work with. Um, and then uh, Glenwood is still a big part of our organization, Megan Larmer at Glenwood. Uh, Greg Peck, Dr. Greg Peck from Cornell University is on our board as an ex-officio seat. So we are so fortunate in New York State to have not only these incredible cider makers, but also like the partnership with Cornell and with Glenwood and these just really amazing organizations that just line up, you know, as far as values and interest in, in really developing this industry. So, yeah, I would highly recommend getting out to any of our board members. Um, I think the only individual I did mention was Tyler Franzen, who has a new uh, cidery up in the Finger Lakes Small Pockets, Small Pockets Farm. So you should check out him as well. Well, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate you, you coming on and, and Paige. I want to give a shout out. Congratulations, Jonathan Oaks of Oaks Winery and uh, Steampunk. Also, in the early days of Cider Week, he was he would come to New York all the way from out yes. by Buffalo and come to New York City. And I, I was a fan of Steampunk, uh, you know, back in 2011, 2012. So uh, yeah. well deserved. And I know he's usually available for for interviews and 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 and, and it's great talking to media. So. Congrats to you, uh, Jonathan Oaks of Steampunk. Um, and Paige, um, anyone else you want to give a shout out to before we sign off? Uh, yeah, I mean, Rachel, because she's uh, she's the awesome <laughs> person behind uh, New York State Cider Week. She helps produce everything and she keeps everybody organized and puts up the website and uh, is just awesome peeps um, and knows her cheeses too and cheese and cider are yes. so good together. It's such a match made in heaven. <laughs> like she's a really cool person to know. Um, and yeah, and, and uh, everything that Scott does is incredible for the industry and uh, it's great working with him and it's great to have the Cider Association actually in my backyard because we literally are neighbors. Uh, like we live right down <laughs> over from each other. So it's kind of neat <laughs> having somebody. So we, all, we can all agree and, and your your enthusiasm level popped when you said cider and cheese. I think we all agree that there's nothing better with, with cheese than cider. So, oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. That, that's, we're, we're gonna, we got to do more cheese and cider tasting. And I'm hoping that Rachel Freer comes down to Cider Feast. If not, we're going to have Saxable Cheesemongers um, at, at the event as well. Cider Feast is in Brooklyn, October 7th. Um, we've been doing it since uh, 2014. And we've got a different approach. We're, we're, we're kind of like New York City and distributors and kind of a wide world of cider, but also a lot of food. And we just mostly – I wanted to say this about Cider Feast. The only reason I ever started that event, and it's, it's a small event in the sc scope of things, is that I wanted to support Cider, cider Week. And anything I've done with cider since 2011, it was usually driven by, oh, Cider Week's coming. Let's support mm -hmm. it and, and let's showcase, the, you know, these great cider makers. And um, I just want to thank you. I'm really happy, Scott, that, you're, that you've taken it over and the direction it's going. And I just want to thank you so much because it means a lot to people in the industry. It, it, it's a change of pace. 
talking about cider it, it is, 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 is a nice time, nice thing to talk about when you're running a pub, a restaurant, a festival, or doing a radio show. So thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Jimmy, so much for everything. Honestly, it's, it's great to have your partnership. And uh, there's never a conversation I have about you where people don't light up and just have a tremendous amount of respect for you. So thank <laughs> well, you for thanks. what you're doing. It's like when Paige talks about pear and cider and cheese, right? <laughs> exactly. Same thing. Yep. All right. Listen, you guys are awesome. Big shout out to our uh, engineer, Armin Spengen. We've got a whole new season coming up this fall. Is packed at Heritage Radio Network, uh, Beer Sessions Radio. We're, we're just going to keep going. We've got cider shows, beer shows, beer bar shows. Uh, Courtney uh, uh, from uh, Good Beer Hunting is going to come on the end of October. Shelton Brothers are going to come on talking about um, their, their well, Joel Shelton, no longer the Shelton Brothers, talk about his, his tours to some of the beer meccas like Franconia. So we'll, we'll, we'll stay up with you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Beer Sessions Radio, Heritage Radio Network. Catch you next time. All right, guys. Woo, thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.